Anybody from Texas we like. Uh, most people from Texas. Yeah. We love the South. We love Texans. We love people from North Carolina. We don't like Yankees. Oh, man. All right. Let's go to the book of the Bible that you are not familiar with. It's the book in the New Testament. I'm sure you've never read this book. It's such a mysterious book. And there's a mysterious chapter. And it is so overlooked. People read a lot of the Bible, but not this chapter, not this book. And so I'd like you to turn to this book and this chapter tonight. That's John. <laughs> book of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14. I really, I really like just reading the Bible, and as I try to read the Bible through um, the new year, I have so many things that I try to keep track of, um, but then also just reading through the New Testament and both, both Testaments, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of truth, of course, doctrine and a lot of history, but also a lot of spiritual application to the Bible verses, and I think it's good to not just um, keep things, uh, okay, this is the Old Testament, Therefore, it's just history, that's it. There's a lot to learn from the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, it's for our admonition. And in the New Testament, there's a lot of things that are very, um, be careful about how it's interpreted and all that, and it's very important. But um, in this chapter, chapter 14, there are some real good blessings that the Lord gives to his disciples and to us by extension. And so in chapter 14, verse number one, let's begin there for just a few verses. Fourteen verse number one. Number one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'll stop there and try to cover some of the scriptures in each one. But in chapter fourteen verse number one, he says, "Let not your heart be troubled." Now come to verse number twenty-seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth you, or giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Either let it be afraid. So verse 1 and verse 27 kind of sandwiches uh, a portion in this chapter together, like a top top piece of bread, bottom piece of bread, and bologna, fried bologna, and mayonnaise, <laughs> lettuce, and cheese in between. And so it seems to be that he is talking about peace and having a peaceful mind, peaceful heart. And I wonder why he tells them that. Why does he say, let not your heart be troubled in verse 1 and closes that part by saying also about the same thing. Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, isn't it true that just like in their world, our world is full of trouble and things contribute to them having anxiety. Um, my daughter had, when she was a teenager, Emily, she had anxiety attacks. I didn't even know that. I don't know if your kids told you everything, but my Emily did not tell us everything and we never did understand that until later on. And uh, some of the things that she felt she felt some of the things that she felt. It was just she just kept it to herself because I think maybe she thought, well, you know, um, uh, I'm not supposed to have these feelings, or my pastor's daughter, I'm not supposed to be feeling like this. I'm not supposed to be anxious about anything. I'm supposed to be always cheerful, and she always was cheerful on the outside, but she did have these uh, anxiety attacks, and uh, it was very real to her. And so I don't make fun of it, 
But the, the world of Jesus Christ and the disciples was full of anxiety, full of things that went on and uh, gave them gave them restless nights, gave them anxiety. And so he says in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Connected to that, of course, is our head, how we perceive things, how we take things, how we see our world. <coughs> and so they had heart trouble because they were anxious about things around them. Well, there's a couple of things that made them anxious. Number one, they were anxious because in chapter 13, if you back up just a page or two, in chapter 13, <coughs> excuse me, verse number 13, 13, 13 of John, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. And he'll go down to verse number 26. And he says, as he closes this short portion, in verse number 23, now there was leaning, uh, verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Well, that caused them to be anxious. What are you saying? Verse 22. Then the disciples looked one on another. Can you imagine this? Then the disciples looked one uh, on one another, doubting of whom he spake. Verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? <laughs> I want to know. Jesus answered, He it is, to whom I shall give a sop, whom uh, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after that, the sop, uh, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now, this is what caused them to have anxiety, to know that someone among them, among the twelve, would be a traitor. So he says, one of you is going to betray me, and therefore that caused them to have anxiety. And the second thing that caused them to have an anxious heart is in verse number 33. Verse 33. Little children. Affectionate term, isn't it? Little children. Yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say unto you. And so he tells them that he will leave them, but that caused them to have some grief. After three, three and a half years of close contact, intimacy with Christ, and, and going with them, ministering with them, and observing what he has done, and how he treated people, and so on, uh, now they're all going to be alone. Well, that caused them to have some grief. Isn't that, isn't that true where um, you make friendship with someone or you have a relationship built with someone like in the military and then they have to leave after three years that is a hard thing it always is and so he's going to leave them and it's kind of a mystery to them and so that caused them to have anxiety now another thing that caused them to have anxiety is in verse number 36 verse number 36 Simon Peter said unto him Lord whither goest thou Jesus answered him Whither I go, thou canst not follow me, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Will thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. 
Well, that caused the people, the other disciples who heard that, to feel like, what? Our leader is going to betray <coughs> Jesus? And so you have three things that cause them to have some anxiety. I can understand that, really. And so this self-assured man, Peter, loud and boisterous, uh, it seemed like he didn't even know his own heart, which is not a criticism of Peter. And I don't really criticize Peter for a lot of things because um, I, I can identify with Peter, although I'm not as bold as Peter or as, as outspoken as Peter. But uh, I can understand how not knowing our own hearts, even though we think we do. And Peter, I think, somehow was very self-assured and self-confident, yet um, I'll die for you, Lord. But the Lord knew what was going to happen in just a little while. And so the hearts of the disciples were troubled. Look at chapter 13, verse number 21. 13, 21. Uh, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but Jesus himself was troubled. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit. Well, what is all that about Jesus being troubled in spirit? I thought the Son of God had... No, no, no. We, we got to remember that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he was also the son of man. So as a man, as a man, as Jesus the man, uh, he did feel things. He did have emotions. He did have uh, everything about him as a normal man, yet without sin. And so he could say, the Bible could say, Hebrews 4.15, that he was tempted in all points, I guess, we are yet without sin. And so he, he felt that. He felt the anxiety as a man about someone whom he had gotten close to and yet this person would uh, be like a Benedict Arnold and stab him in the back so to speak and betray him and so he felt that um, I, don't, I don't know uh, sometimes sometimes new Christians think that the Christian life is one of her great and there's nothing wrong with it it's not, not, not flawed it's just people in church are angelic and when people get saved they're happy of course as they should be but uh, they think everyone is just perfect. And I think when you and I got saved, whenever that was, we began to realize after a few months of being in church, this guy's not so perfect. This guy cut me off on the highway on the way to church. And I heard her saying some bad things about some young lady on the way to from the park lot. And then they got all kind of acted with nice on the, as they got into the church door. Yeah, things like that. And you, you begin to realize that people are not so perfect, which after a while you begin to realize, this is not anything new. And uh, most trouble comes on Christians rather than just the world. And so a lot of things cause anxiety. Today in our life, a lot of things cause us grief. I'm not sure about how you feel about things, but uh, politics gives me grief. Uh, the way the nation is going gives me grief. Gas prices gives me grief. Uh, taxes gives me grief. It gives me anxiety. But we are not supposed to look at the world like that. We're supposed to look beyond this and look up toward our Lord for our sustenance and for our spiritual health and for our encouragement. And, but we all face anxiety of some sort, some a lot more than others, but uh, the Lord is there to help us. And the Lord gives several things, several reasons why, several truths as to why they should be uh, trouble-free in their heart. So that's where we're gonna go. Several things he tells them that will give them less stress, less grief, less anxiety for their hearts. Let not your heart be troubled. Number one, the first truth I find is that the heart can be soothed because he says, let not your heart be troubled. It's very possible in this troublesome world that we can have a trouble-free, almost, not quite, um, 
heart. And um, it all depends upon the what we believe, what we hear, what we understand, what we accept, what we think about. And so he says, first of all, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. So the first truth I want to pass on to you is that he says, your heart can be less troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled by the things that you've heard. Don't be distressed by the prospects of the future. It looks gloomy, yes. I'm going to leave it for sure. I have to, I must. But it's okay. Let me tell you why. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, it's easy for us to say that to others when they uh, need help and when we try to encourage someone. And sometimes our, our, our trite answers, our stock answers may not really help anybody. But the fact is, uh, the way to get out of uh, a, a tailspin uh, emotionally, spiritually, wait for that process to stop is to remember truth. The truth is we can have less grief in our life because, and I would say, because it depends upon the truth that we believe. And so John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so um, anxiety for many reasons, yes. But still, we can look up and be somewhat at peace and somewhat happy even, even though. Now, I'm glad I don't live in California. But friends in California, they got used to how it is in California. They've gotten used to everything. But uh, a lot of people live in California. But Hawaii has its problems too. Wherever we live, we'll have problems. Yeah. Live out in the country, live out in Maine, live out in, down in Florida, California, Hawaii, we all have our problems. And uh, it's all relative. But what is also relative to each Christian, no matter where we live, is that we can have peace through Jesus Christ. Amen. We have the peace uh, of God, the peace with Him, and so many levels of peace. But we can have peace because He says so. Let not your heart be troubled. Stop being anxious. Easy to say, hard to, hard to digest that. But what makes it easier to digest is to know the truth about what He is saying here. So the second thing he says, the second truth, besides you can have more peace of mind and peace of heart, in verse number one, remember the Lord. Verse number one, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe, ye believe in God, believe also in me. So believing in the Lord, remembering him, helps us to have a more peaceful mind and heart. Sometimes we're just overcome by the current event or the circumstances. And we just forget who we are. We forget who God is. As you read the books of Deuteronomy and Numbers, uh, you, you read that the Lord, as he prepares them to go into the promised land, he constantly reminds the Hebrew people, and Moses constantly repeated himself and reminded the nation, he says, I can't get in, but you're going to get in. And here's what I want you to remember as you face this great adventure facing the new land God has given to you. And he keeps reminding them about what God has done for them. Going back to Egypt, coming out of the furnace of fire, he calls it. And he talks about how God is with them and how he took care of their clothing, his shoes, and he fed them and he gave them what, all these kind of things. And he's constantly reminding them and reminding them and reminding them about how God took care of them. And so one of the things that the Lord gave here in chapter 14 was he reminded the disciples that you must remember that you 
Should have faith in God. Believe in Him. Believe in the Lord. Remember the Lord. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, and remembering Him has, I think, the the context of Psalm 23, where we remember who our shepherd is, and in view of the fact that He's going to leave them, someone's going to betray Him, their leader's going to disappoint Jesus. He says, "Look, remember who your shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd." And in that short psalm of six verses, it talks about how God provides for them. And he's saying, really, I think, that the Lord will take care of you because you are his sheep and that you will not be forsaken. So remember who God is. Believe in God, believe also in me. But the third thing I want to pass on to you is in verse number two. Well, verse number two says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Little girl misread that and says, I go to repair a place for you. Well, it's really, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the truth that he wanted them to see is, for me, truth number three. Remember, heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Well, I'm glad that verse is there because people mock the Christian believing in heaven, this so-called pie in the sky. Um, well, you would think that as well if you didn't have scripture to go to for your source of information because it seems kind of fantastic to believe that there's a place in heaven or a place called heaven. But we are sure that there is one because the Lord here said that there is a place called heaven. Amen. And so in my father's, in my father's house, in my father's house, I mean in answers, you can say a lot about the mansion part, but I just want to say this tonight, that the heart can be soothed because he reminds them of heaven as a real place. It's a real place. Uh, not only is it a real place, it is a perfect place. Now come to Hebrews chapter 11 for just a second. Hebrews chapter 11. <laughs> heaven is a real place, but besides it being a real place, there's something else about the quality of this place called heaven. I'm interested in quality. And uh, my wife would like to watch uh, This Old House. It would reruns because to me and to her, it's just really nice to see this skilled tradesman fix, uh, sometimes destroy to fix, sometimes destroy to rebuild, sometimes add on to. And every every trade, they're so skilled from the gardener to the landscaping to the, I mean, every, it's just like, wow, there's a lot of things that I don't even know about. And these guys know how to do it like that. And it's so pleasant to watch these old folks, you know, these, these men that, got a big belly and these other guys that, with this North New England accent, they are so interesting because they're so skilled and we can watch that, we can, is it called binge watching? <laughs> we can watch that for a long time to see these guys talk about how they can do that and then we're thinking, okay now we got this problem in our house, what if we did something like that Maybe, and it gives us encouragement that we can't fix our own stuff, some stuff some stuff and sometimes turn on the light after you fix it and water comes out from the ceiling well that's not fixing it because you know but uh, what did I tell you that for oh yes uh, houses houses um, anything made by man will be flawed yeah. and any kind of ride on a state fair or things like that I'm not going to get on these things that go up like that and they come back down like that and I was over in, uh, it's years, decades ago, um, took some kids from AC recognition in Arlington, Texas. And there was a ride that went up like that. You strapped in and you went, you went straight up 
I don't know how high, and you came straight down. It was a rush. And you, you just dropped it, and then you, you leveled out and slowed down. It was like, it was something else. Well, that wasn't too bad. But then there's other kind of things, like you, you, you on change, you swing like that. And the, the, the faster it goes, the farther out you go. And that thing is like, you, you begin here, and then you, you, you go like that, and, then, and, and you're like that. You're, you're horizontal, and it's scary. All of that is held by chains and stuff, and all assembled by people. Yeah. <laughs> all assembled by people, minimum wage. <laughs> Seasonal workers. Who knows where they came from? They need a job, they got a job. Okay, follow these instructions, guys. Pound this in, screw this tight. Remember now, people's lives depend on you. Okay. Uh, you know, those kind of things make me kind of nervous. Well, when it comes to heaven, Hebrews chapter... Hebrews chapter, what I say? 11 and verse number 10. Look at that, please. 11, 10. Through faith also, Sarah in, uh, herself receives strength to conceive seed. Is that what I wanted? No, it's not. I brought one verse 10. Verse 10. <laughs> verse 10. For he, back up to verse 9, please. Read it, verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place which he should go, uh, he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and uh, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Well, that's very interesting for us to, to remember in the context of God's heaven. Uh, heaven has been likened to a kingdom in 2 Peter 1. It's likened to an inheritance in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's like to a country in Hebrews chapter 11. It's likened to a city. And then in John 14, it's likened to a home. It's likened to a home. Go back to John 14. Heaven is likened to a home. The thing I want you to remember is Jesus gave them encouragement and comfort and peace of mind and peace of heart by reminding them about the truth about heaven that he is building for them and that this heaven that he's building for them, that he is preparing for them, is a perfect place. It's a perfect place, which really speaks about the quality of heaven. And so I go to prepare a place for you. The thing I want you to see now is the fourth truth. Heaven is for each disciple. And we would say in the context of the New Testament and salvation, it is the place for each saved soul. So uh, what could be more encouraging? What could be more heartening than to know for certain that a person is going to be with Christ in heaven in a perfect place. That's very encouraging to know, even though for a period of time it's dark, not knowing the future, because our leader, our master, our Lord is leading us. And then it says that not to have trouble, believe in God, believe also me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Yeah. And so he's trying to give them some peace of mind and peace of heart. And he gives us the same thing in this troubled world, in this anxious world. And so, remember, Jesus was a carpenter. He was a carpenter's son. He knew that trade very well, I think. And uh, as that as, as that trade that he, he learned with his father, stepfather, and then um, working with your hands and knowing how to, how, to, how to build things with them, 
such a blessing. That leads us to think, well, he probably was a good carpenter. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I wonder if that image fits. It does. He is building a place, preparing a place for you. Now, it's very sentimental to say that, well, he's been in heaven now for 2,000 years. He imagine the place he's going to make him for us. That's sentimental thinking. He could have made heaven for us perfect like that. As the days of creation, just like that. Just spoken to it. He do it like that if he wanted to. And if he does that, that's fine. If he's if he's taking time to build it according to our faithfulness, okay, that's fine too. The fact is it's a real place and it's a perfect place. That's the fact to remember. Amen. It's a perfect place. Amen. A perfect place. Oh, well, we can go on about imperfect homes, imperfect structures, and people not using the right quality equipment and right quality materials and Cutting corners is even a few thousand dollars over the cost of a house, all these kind of things, and it all shows up in the end. If this is not perfectly level, it's going to show up here. If this is not done right, it's going to show up when it rains and things like that. But the place that the Lord has made for us, we can say for certainty, it's a perfect place. It's a prepared place for prepared people. Now look at chapter 14, verse number 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. The fifth truth is this. He will not forget them. He will be absent from them physically, but he will not forget them. He's not going to forget them nor forsake them. So that is something he told them to encourage them, to help them through their anxious moments, anxious days. And then so though he's absent physically from them, he's not going to forget them. Remember when Noah was in the ark? I thought it said Moses when he was in the ark. It wasn't Moses, it was Noah. When Noah was in the ark, and it lifted, floated, and it went on and on and on and on and on. And it went on and on and on in that box, floating on the water. The Bible says, and God remembered Noah. Yeah. And God remembered Noah. And God remembered Noah. Well, he remembers his disciples too. He's going to come back for them one of these days, and for us one of these days. He's not going to forget. Um, we could talk about being forgetful, but I forgot what to say about that. <laughs> and uh, we, don't, we don't intend to be forgetful, but we do forget things. But the Lord didn't forget Noah in the ark. Yeah. And the Lord does not forget his own. And he says, I'm going to be gone for you, men, but take heart because just like that story about my father, our father not forgetting Noah in the ark, I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to come again for you. Yeah. I'm going to personally come again for you. Amen. I'm going to personally come back for you. I'm not going to forget you. Now you might have days and weeks and years where you think, well, you've forgotten about me because you won't hear from me. You won't hear my voice. You won't see me showing up around the corner. You won't see me in this town and this town and this village. But you might be tempted to think, that I have forsaken you, but I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm always with you to the end of the world. So he says by saying those words that he would never forget them. And it's good to not be forgotten. Yeah. One of the worst things that can happen to a person to really push them down into even serious depression is to feel like nobody cares for me and I've been forgotten. And it's a horrible feeling when someone really believes that. Yeah. Truth is, most people are not forgotten. And the truth is also this, some people do feel forgotten. 
they do feel like they've been abandoned by friends or relatives even. And that's a horrible feeling to go through, to, to think that nobody cares, nobody remembers you. It's a bad feeling. It's always a good thing for the Christian to remember that people have feelings and that we need to be thoughtful of that and consider of people's feelings and express that you care, express that you are thoughtful of them, even though you don't see them every every week perhaps or even for a period of time. Someone who is a shut-in, someone who is absent not because of anything but bad health. And uh, they need to feel like they still are connected to people. And so people need to feel like someone cares for them, someone loves them. My mom-in-law is like that. She's very different. She's very unique. I'm not just saying that because you're here, but I say that because she's that kind of a um, mother and Christian that just expresses, I care for you. She don't say too much, but when you talk with her, you feel like she cares for you. And when you, Nancy, can I talk to you? Well, sure. I have a problem. Well, don't talk to me. Go see the pastor. <laughs> well, I want to talk to you. I want you to pray about something. Okay. And she'll do this. Oh. Oh. Oh, bless your heart. And the person will say, Nancy, thank you so much for talking to me. You've helped me so much. You know all that is about? It's about someone feeling someone cares. That's it. Now, men don't act like that. You know, men express our care in different ways. But regardless of how it is expressed, it's always healthy and good for, for Christians to express that to other Christians, especially their own church members and friends and so on. And so he says this, I will not forget you. You might forget me. Your forefathers forgot me. A lot of times they forgot our father, my father. But I will not forget you. I'm going to come again. When I come again, I'm going to come back for guess who? I'm going to come back for you. Yeah. You. You, 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 you. Is that 12? <laughs> 11. I'll come back for you. And so that, I think, surely encouraged them and helped them to overcome their anxious hearts. And so let's come down to verse number, oh, let's see here, verse number, where did I leave you off here? Verse number 2 and 3 and 4. And let's come down to verse number, uh, verse number seven. If you had known uh, me, you should have known the Father, or my Father, also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, then show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. And he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Now what did the Lord do here? He told them, by encouraging them with these words that the Father, the Father is with them. The Father is with them. You know the Father already because you know me. Uh, 400 years before Christ, Plato said this, quote, to find out the Father and maker of the universe is a hard task. Let me say that again. To find out the Father and maker of the universe is a, is a hard task. 
we would disagree with that because Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. If you know me, you know the Father. If you know what I'm about, what I'm like, that's what the Father's like. And so he said to them, the Father's with you. You can know the Father, and he has been revealed in me, which would be very encouraging. One of the, one of the real blessings of reading the Bible and believing it is that you see that it, the scriptures reveal who God is. Reveals God, reveals his attributes, his qualities, what he is like, and you can identify with them. And that gives you, that truth gives you peace of mind to know that God is all powerful, He's all knowing, He's everywhere, God is good, and the moral qualities of God, His attributes. And when you think and you dwell upon God, what He is like, and who He is, His relationship to you. That gives you a little bit of hope that things are not so bad. People don't know the Lord. I'm not sure what they go to for their help. Did they run to the bank accounts? Did they invest this? Well, I think the Bible says don't trust in uncertain riches. Don't trust in uncertain riches. They will fail you. And instead, trust in the living God. They're going to trust their friends. Well, friends are just human too. And, and we can make a long list of what people can do for their trust, for their health. Maybe they're psychologists, psychiatrists, or, the, or, or something. The ultimate source of our health, he says, is, is God. Knowing God. Knowing God. Knowing the truth about God the Father. And so he says, you know the Father already. Verses 7 through 11. Uh, the sixth truth I want to pass on to you is in verses 12 through 15. Six things the Lord gives to the disciples to help them to be encouraged in view of his coming departure, in view of the leader of the group, humanly speaking, who would fail the Lord, in view of the fact that you have a traitor in the midst. Then he says this in verse number 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, um, by the way, in passing, how do you look at verse number 12? Greater works, greater works than these shall do, because I go to my Father. Is he saying that after I leave, you will do greater works than I will do, that I've ever done? How do you take verse number 12? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Those who believe in will do works that he does, but greater works. What are these greater works? What does that mean, greater works? After you leave them, you should do greater works. I wonder what that's about. Is it possible that we can do greater works than Jesus did in the first century? A lot of people take that to mean, well, he did healings. We can do more healings than he did. People take it also to say that, uh, well, he did miracles. We can do greater miracles than Jesus did because he said so. Well, if you take, if people take that tack, I haven't seen too many people walking on water lately, have you? <laughs> I haven't seen mass of people having a demonstration of God is with us. Here we are, we're going to walk on water. We can do greater feats than Jesus did. Maybe 39 miracles are recorded in the gospel of what Jesus did. But likely did many more things than that because it's not recorded. John says at the end of his gospel, if we were to write everything down that Jesus did, we'd, we'd run out of books. Yeah. We'd fill the Library of Congress. It's not possible to write down everything that he did. Yeah. So what we have is just a little bit. It's a sketch of what he did. And so can we do 
greater than what he did? Is that what he really means? People do gravitate to the miracles and things like that and the healings, but I haven't seen too many of these healers raise the dead. Yeah. Haven't seen that lately. Now I've heard about them, but have they been medically verified as really dead? And really raising the dead? No. So we're not going to go there. We're not going to say that's the interpretation or the outcome or how it's going to be played out. No, not that. Could it be because of um, the fact that what he did was confined to a small country and then the gospel went into all the world and it reached many more millions of people because of transportation, technology, and advantages of different things. Well, maybe, maybe in that sense, yes, maybe in that sense, because probably more people have gotten saved since Jesus left the earth than when he was on the earth. Just the, the numbers of people involved in the number of missionaries and evangelists and pastors and everything else, that could be, that could be, that's, that's acceptable really, the volume of people coming to Christ and so on. Well, from 12, from 12 to who knows how many, God knows. Maybe that is what that's about. So, technology is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing, really, in many ways. And uh, yet it can be done for you. But let's focus on one thing. The greater works, it could be just the volume of things. I don't think it's about doing more than what he did and being... Uh, the miraculous and supernatural things like that. So that's another um, day to develop verse 12. But let's go to verse 13 because the focus now is about another truth that he gave, the sixth one, uh, as he tries to calm their anxious hearts. In verses 12 through 15, now this verse number 13, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, the thing he gives to them is, to encourage them, is he talks about the privilege that you have now, disciples of praying, the privilege of prayer. Now, there is a qualification. He does tell them, whatsoever you ask, in my name, I will do it. He does have qualifications, though. Verse 13. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The qualification for the prayers being answered is that if the Father be glorified, if the Son be glorified. James talks about consuming things upon your own lusts, and uh, therefore that's a disqualified prayer. So not every prayer that is given is going to be answered in a positive, what I want. And so that's a qualification. The other qualification is in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we seem to see in verse 13, 14, 15, the privilege of prayer, but also there is the qualifications for prayer. You must pray in the Lord's will. Now, it's very optimistic, isn't it? Uh, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's a good, that's a good prayer promise right there. <laughs> but practically speaking, we understand by Christian experience that many prayers do not get answered the way I asked for God to answer the prayers. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's not that he doesn't care. It's just perhaps it was not in his will yeah. or in his, um, in, in our, for our good. When you read Deuteronomy, I read two verses just this morning where it was in Numbers. 
Man's name is Numbers. There are two verses where it said that God would do these things for you, for your good, for your good. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 35, Paul talks about how he was teaching. Let's go there and see. I want to make a point there. He was teaching about marriage and about the principle of his admonitions. And he says this, and this ties to what I'm trying to explain about prayers in God's will for his glorification. Look at verse number 35. Now this is the thing I want to pass on as far as the, the principle of the praying. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a turn upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. That verse is about a totally different context, but it's about how, how if you do the right thing, Christian, then it is, and, and if you take my advice, even though it seems kind of harsh on you, hard on you, it is for your good. That's the whole idea. It's for your good. It's for you to serve God without distraction. And that's why I'm telling you these things. He said in, in verses 1 through 34. But in the John passage about praying, the privilege of praying, he says, the qualification is, is to glorify God and you obey me. He says, that sounds like it's restrictive, but it's really for your good. It's really for your benefit that God has restrictions on answering prayers. If you got everything you wanted that you asked for, what would that make you? What would that make me? God speaks. What would that make God if he gave you everything you asked for? Yes. Now, you're a good father on earth. If you had a good father on earth, he, he understood that whatever you asked for in this store, the candy store, whatever it was, that may have been fun. Um, but he never granted you everything you asked for. If he had, you'd have no teeth in your mouth. Cotton candy, grandpa, yeah, yeah, grandpa, cotton candy. Now, grandpas have a temptation too because grandkids tend to pull at them and they tend to be a little bit more lenient than their dads are. But uh, I try to say no a lot to the grandkids and I try not to let them feel like they can, they can bully me. <laughs> so, no, why do you want that? You know how much that costs? You got the money for that? Why don't you work and earn it? I'll give you a job. I'll pay you. I'll pay you a quarter for three hours of work. I'm in a generous mood. But if your father gave you everything you wanted, of course you know what would happen. And most, most, most people growing up, if they get everything that they make their parents give to them, later on they resent that. Later on, they resent their dad or mom for giving them everything they want because they know, looking back, how much it gave them a real bad idea about life. And they don't like that feeling inside that's kind of gnawing at them that they got everything that they wanted. But then they would pride say, you know, my dad made me work for that. And he feels good about that, that boy does. So our father says no a lot of times because it's not for our good. I gotta marry her. Oh Lord, I'm so in love. She's so pretty. Oh Lord, she's got the most beautiful eyes. Okay. Camels have beautiful eyes. They do. Camels have beautiful eyes. Is there anything else about her that you love? No. I love her hair. Same age as me. Oh, when she smiles, I just melt. Anything else? Uh I haven't thought about anything else. Well, that's the problem there, young man. You need to think about other things besides 
her appearance and her beauty. What is she like? And, and you can, you know, and so, but I got, oh, please, please, please. And then you can just imagine a scenario when he begs mama then to give in to him because they don't want the boy mad at them. And so they cave in and then they get married, they get, they get married and then it's like, oh brother. But about two weeks is fine and then everything falls apart. And it doesn't work out a lot of times. It's because dad should have said, no, you need to wait, you're only 15. <laughs> I can support her, really? Well, how do you can support her? I got a paper route. Well, that's good. How much do you make? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, there's a time for the father to say, in love, no. Not yet. I want my license. I gotta have my license. Why? Well, my friends have their license. Well, they're ordering you by two years. I know, but I gotta, no. Come on, dad. No, not now. Later. When you're more mature. I am mature. Well, look at you. Look at, listen to you. Listen to you. Run a fit. So a loving father will grant us our prayer request if it is going to glorify him and if it is for their good. And the Lord just might grant more prayers if we are obedient to him. That's another part about the privileges of praying. And I just want to say this, that when our children are obedient to us, we are more prone to want to give them what they ask for. And that's the truth. And I think our Father in Heaven may feel the same way about that. And then the last thing he gives, the truth number seven, truth number seven in chapter 15, 14 of John, the things he said, truth, truth, all truth, nothing but the truth, to lift their anxious hearts and minds is in verses 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. And I will not be comfortless, I will come to you. Well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming after he leaves. Acts chapter, chapter 2, Holy Spirit came. But you find out that he... Um, Encourage them by the truth that the Holy Spirit will come to live with them and indwell them forever. And so, I'm not sure if they all understood that. We do, looking back. But what, what good words, what wisdom the Lord had to encourage his disciples. I wonder if we can transfer that to others as we seek to help them overcome some things. And uh, not by cute answers, not by stock answers but by going to the truth and trying to address something that gives people anxiety or but uh, using this as a pattern how we can encourage people from the word of God I have found out that when you go to the Bible for solutions and answers for real life problems it does really help it does really help and it may take time for people to receive it there's nothing else that we can do except go to the truth. Because when they know the truth, the truth will set them free from that natural happy trouble. Okay? Well, that's just for tonight. A little food for thought here. 
Well, I'm sure glad to meet you tonight. Thanks for being here. You and your wife, 30th anniversary. That's a blessing. And so would you mind to dismiss us in prayer? Father, we thank you, Lord, that you would care enough about us, Lord, to not only provide a means for salvation and, Lord, atonement you made for us, but caring for our soul, caring for our thoughts, caring for what we go through in life. And Lord, I thank you that we can believe in you, and because of that belief and trust in you, Lord, uh, all care and all the struggles of this life can be put away from us, and Lord, we can do what you told us to do and cast our care upon you. Mm -hmm. Lord, we do thank you for this church here. Lord, we pray that you bless it. Lord, that you would bless the ministry here in a mighty way. Lord, that many souls would be saved. And Lord, that uh, saved would be encouraged and would keep on going here. Lord, with our country, mm -hmm. Lord, we pray that the people, Lord, would realize the biggest need they have is uh, is you, Lord. Right. Lord. Once again, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.